Okay, we're live. Hi, this is William Ramsey. Welcome to William Ramsey Investigates. On today's show, I have a very special guest. His name is Michael Hoffman, and he published a book recently titled Twilight Language. It's on Amazon. It has 21 five-star reviews now, but it's based upon a very influential book for me, which uh, was published in April or May of 2001. title of that book is Secret Societies and Psychological Warfare. And I quoted that book in my book, Children of the Beast, I think when I published Children of the Beast in 2014. Uh, so that original quote is on there. It's about the monolith uh, that he put, he wrote about in Secret Societies and Psychological Warfare, which has 233 five-star reviews right now. Uh, Michael Hoff Hoffman is an independent scholar and the author of 10 books of history and literature, three of which have been published overseas in French and Japanese translations. He has studied political science and history under... Faiz Abu Jaber at the State University of New York at Oswego and at Hobart College under Francis J.M. O'Loughlin. He's a former reporter for the New York Bureau of the Associated Press and is now the editor of the Revisionist History Newsletter. And some of his other titles are The Occult Renaissance, Church of Rome, uh, They Were White and They Were Slaves, The Untold History of the Enslavement of Whites in Early America. And that's really been well read. There's Many, many five-star reviews of that. I have not heard of that title. Another one is Usury in Christendom, The Mortal Sin That Was and Now Is Not, and then Adolf Hitler, Enemy of the German People. And again, we're going to talk about this book, which uh, I have right here. He sent me a copy. I read through it, finished it today. Excellent book, Twilight Language, uh, published 2021. So Michael Hoffman, welcome to the show. Thanks for agreeing to the interview. Thank you for having me, William. Awesome. So for people who may not have heard your background or your earlier book, uh, can you kind of just do an overview of your uh, kind of independent research and leading up to Twilight Language, please? Well, I am a former reporter for the Associated Press. Uh, that was way back in the 1980s where I got a firsthand front row seat at the level of media bias. I often say that there is more uh, falsification due to omission rather than commission. In other words, outright lies are rather easy to spot, and uh, it's what they leave out that's often critical to our uh, current inability to really parse and factor uh, the uh, landscape of lies. But also, I was fortunate in living in what I mentioned in the book Twilight Language. In fact, more than mentioned, there's actually a whole section on it. Uh, what the mainstream historians call the psychic highway or the burned over district. It was kind of the uh, Big Sur or Berkeley, California area of the uh, colonial and post-colonial United States uh, in the 19th century and uh, 18th century, 19th century, where a series of strange events and occurrences which affected American history and to a significant extent world history occurred along the 42nd degree line of north parallel latitude. As you know from reading my books and from the schooling I received from my mentor, James Shelby Downard, I've become very aware of what Mr. Downard called mystical toponymy and what happens both in terms of uh, time as well as space. And so on the 42nd degree line, you had the founding of the Mormons, you had the founding of feminism, and you had uh, several other very important world historic uh, events and activities. Uh, one of them was a new religion, which is largely in decline now, uh, but it was uh, called spiritualism and it involved contacting the dead and it swept America 
Everyone from the abolitionist William Lloyd Garrison to Mary Todd Lincoln in the White House were holding seances. Many of us seem to think this was always more or less a commonplace part of the mythos of the occult, but actually it uh, reached its pinnacle in the 19th century. And so there I was born and raised in this area. And then I went to uh, the State University of New York at Oswego, where I took a political science course with a Palestinian professor, uh, Faiz Abu Jaber, who told me, he knew that I was an aspiring historian. And he told me, why are you looking at into Napoleon or the French Revolution and Robespierre? Why don't you look in your own backyard, the Psychic Highway, the Burned Over District? And that's where I began to plumb the depths of my own locale and the founding of the first major in world history opposition to Freemasonry organized and institutionalized also occurred in that burned over district psychic highway along the 42nd degree of North parallel latitude. And that related to the kidnapping and murder of William Morgan, who wrote a book revealing the secrets of Freemasonry. And that book remains important to this day he was kidnapped from the uh, Ontario County Canandaigua Jail and drowned in the Niagara River. And from that, and particularly in the Northeastern United States, arose a national movement opposed to Freemasonry. It's interesting to note that many members of Lincoln's cabinet, uh, both his kitchen cabinet in the sense of an informal de facto cabinet, uh, such as Thurlow Weed, and also his Secretary of State, William Seward, uh, were very early on members of this anti-Masonic uh, society and movement, which actually formed the first uh, political convention, national political convention in the history of the US, nominating the Attorney General William Wirt as its presidential candidate. So this was fascinating to me. It was just up the road from my uh, birthplace. And I did write a little pamphlet in 1978 called Masonic Assassination, and I grouped in uh, Joseph Smith of the Mormons, who was indeed killed by a Masonic mob uh, at the old Carthage jail. The Mormons rarely mention that in their tours or in their literature, but if you dig deep enough, you'll find some Mormon sources for that. I've used I, other sources besides the and Mormons. And I think Smith, Smith gave a Masonic warning before he was killed, I think. Yes, he said, will no one help the widow's son, which is the Masonic hailing of distress. But the Masons were tipped off ahead of time that he was a so-called apostate Mason, he would give the signal and they were to shoot anyway. So in his uh, particular case, it didn't avail. But uh, that's right, very few people know that. And I also list, and this is speculative, I list uh, Edgar Allan Poe as possibly uh, having been victimized by the Masons. The story about him being a drunkard and uh, that he simply collapsed in Baltimore uh, during the uh, campaigning season, I, I highly question. He was a uh, prominent, opponent of the Freemasons. And in fact, his short story, The Cask of Amontillado, is really an anti-Masonic story. So from there, it seemed like I was almost foreordained to be involved in this research after many detours and um, struggles in my own career as a writer, a journalist, and eventually a professional historian. But that's more or less how I got started. I would also throw Mr. Rod Serling into the mix his summer home was in the Psychic Highway uh, near the 42nd degree line of North Parallel Latitude, and I eventually got to know him. So Twilight Language and the Twilight Zone all involves the crepuscular, I suppose you could say. Fascinating. Well, you've met Rod Sterling. I mean, he's so important, and that show is so influential.
and really yeah. has that twilight morality, I think, that's reflected of your two books, Secret Society and Psychological Warfare, and this book. How would you, you spend time kind of defining twilight language in the book? Can you share kind of what that represents, what that phrase represents? Yes, surely. Uh, so twilight language, what I'm talking about here is the address to the dreaming mind, uh, not the unconscious, but the subconscious, uh, the primordial Jungian archetypes of the subconscious psyche. And uh, it, it's a time capsule that was and continues to be channeling from Pharaonic Egypt, the words of power, uh, amuletic words, which have an influence over us even when we don't realize it. And uh, it's a ceremonial transcendent processing of us. And what's unusual about it now and what I mentioned in Twilight Language is, and my book Twilight Language, is that this phenomena is now for the first time in history public. It's gone public. The people who are behind it, what I call the cryptocracy, they don't care whether or not we know about it. Whereas before it was heavily shrouded in secrecy the reason for that being that their solve et coagula uh, alchemical process, in other words, break down and then rebuild according to their script, is well underway. And as a result of that, the revelation of the method, which is the next stage uh, in terms of our bestialization and dehumanization, is well underway. And so what they feel is humanity in the West is in such tremendous decline that it doesn't matter if they reveal their crimes and their methodology to us, for us, it'll become simply part of the carnival sideshow funhouse, is what I call it, really, the, the fabulous double cross of his satanic majesty. And uh, instead of us being angry about it and organizing about it, by and large, it becomes part of an entertainment uh, network where we get a thrill from it, and then we become burned out having so many adrenaline rushes that conspiracy theory itself, which I find to be largely unhelpful rather than helpful with some honorable exceptions, becomes a search for increasingly more powerful thrills. And, 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 and so we're looking for the secrets behind the Las Vegas massacre of country and Western fans or the secrets behind Ted Kaczynski and the Unabomber. But once those secrets are revealed to us, what do we do with them? If we do nothing with them, if it's simply uh, empowers our apathy and our abulia, in other words, our loss of will, then we have descended down the, la the ladder of consciousness and we're worse off as a result of it. So th these things are all what I've tried to factor into my book, Secret Society and Psychological Warfare, as well as Twilight Language. Right. And you actually say in your book, like the, because we're following along with that, we've also kind of, the population has been occulted to a certain extent, they've been absorbed into this process. And yeah, I, I think Ant that you're right. Antonin Artaud, the famous uh, French playwright and uh, the uh, forecaster of the theater of cruelty, as he called it, which is basically what our cinema and, uh, and plays are today. He was the one who said that there would be a civic magic, which would soon appear undisguised. And he was very prophetic in saying that because he died in either the late 1940s or early 1950s. And that's what we have. We have a civic magic that's appeared undisguised. Arthur C. Clarke predicted the same thing in his 1950s novel, Childhood's End, which features a literal Satan uh, dressed in the livery of what we've come to associate stereotypically with the devil, 
walking in our midst after these uh, uh, interstellar vessels land on Earth. And uh, after an initial panic and uh, initial concern, people become accustomed to it, inured to it, and it's just another blip on the screen of, again, the decline. Uh, evolution says we started out as simian creatures and are now ascending the evolutionary ladder toward the angelic. I actually believe the opposite. I believe we started out in an angelic state and we're descending into the simian, and I see examples of that every day. Right, and I think your, your theme of the book is just to how humanity has changed under these this crypto, cryptographical or cryptocracy assault of different, of so many different events. I mean, you go back to JFK and maybe you can talk like, I'm not that familiar with uh, James Shelby Downard and you have a picture of him at the intro and you guys wrote together that kind of, in, that influ, really influential uh, uh, journalistic writing, was it King Kill 33? You and yeah. him worked on that together, correct? Yes, he sent me, a, in the 1970s, he sent me a huge box of Xerox notes and uh, his own thoughts and so forth. And then I uh, distilled them into King Kill 33. And that was one of the first things, when I first met Mr. Downard, one of the first things that really uh, made me think that he was someone I had to know and know more about and befriend was his take on the Kennedy assassination and where he saw Jack and Jackie as sex gods who descended to Love Field in the Angel Airliner and proceeded to a Masonic temple site for the ritual sacrifice of the King of Camelot, witnessed by his queen of erotic sublimity, attended by the three unworthy craftsmen and the magic powerhouse of Oz in the form of Ruby, who didn't wear the slippers, but did possess the ersatz jewels, a, a Jack Ruby in, in the jeweler's trade is a fake. And that's where we come into 9-11, the Black Jack 16 plus five era, the tower card and the rider weight uh, tarot deck being 16 and the Pentagon is five. And that's where we saw the 9-11 attacks, 16 and five of course is 21. And that becomes the Thanatos threnody of our time. And so Mr. Downard was the first to alert me to that. He was the first to alert me to the what he called, other people call it the atomic bomb, he called it the creation and destruction of primordial matter on the 33rd degree of north, north parallel latitude at the place where the Hornada del Muerto, this ancient road of death, the journey of the dead man, literally in Spanish, ran into the White Sands missile site uh, dead on the 33rd degree line. And not far from the 33rd degree line at the triple underpass and the Trinity River John F. Kennedy had his appointment with destiny. So Mr. Downard's, uh, what he calls mystical toponymy, merging this nighttime highway of our psyche, mystical topography with crepuscular language, the inner landscape where time relations among events are assumed to be first constituted by the specific physical relations obtaining between them. Um, I, I more or less extrapolated that from his own insight because he was very concerned with how the Kennedy administration had been labeled Camelot. And in Camelot, the concept is the once and future Camelot. T.H. Uh, White wrote a book about that, meaning always present. And uh, so when you have this concept of 
uh, time relations among events being first constituted by the physical space that they occupy, you can see the resonance of that. And that's what Mr. Downard was pointing to. And then later on, I had my own uh, foray into the 42nd degree of north parallel latitude in terms of here is the space in time, but it remains in space. So it's there even as time passes. And this is part of the infinitesimally programmed ritual, which is intended to basically kill our minds and usher in um, the world foretold by the astrologer royal for Queen Elizabeth I, Dr. John Dee, uh, when he forecast that we would be ruled by dead matter, which was, is in my view, uh, shorthand for uh, computers in the digital world. They're dead. They're not alive. It's interesting that the camel is said to be a questing beast. And, uh, you know, the root of the word Camelot, although many people have proposed different uh, words for that, including Old English Towns, Commendulum, and others. But uh, the camel is derived via Latin and Greek, uh, Camelus in Latin, and Camilois from the Hebrew Gamal. And the Hebrew denotation of Gamal is derived from the verbal root meaning repaying in kind. And I could go deeper into these things, but what I'm suggesting here is that if you've ever been to the uh, Latin Tridentine Mass, which was derogated uh, during the reign of Pope Paul VI, but I was a child at the time the Mass was going on. In fact, I was even an altar boy in the early 1960s. And you see, uh, if for no other reason, watching the priest, every gesture that he makes has uh, tremendous significance how he even holds his fingers and uh, where he stands. And that gave me an understanding of the importance of ritual, not just to the Catholic church or even to the uh, caricatured black mass, which is largely a, a product of Hollywood. I mean, there is such a thing and there's even the Gnostic mass, which uh, is, is more accurate and, and more uh, popular among occultists. But there is a black mass, but it's been horribly uh, popularized and, and caricatured out of all form of what it originally intended. But the symbolic import of the Black Mass or its exact opposite, the Tridentine Mass, is that gestures, rituals, and words process people. The Tridentine Latin Mass processed the pagan people of Europe, those robust Vikings, into pious Roman Catholics. How did it do that? Very few people have undertaken that study. And by the same token, an open air black mass, if you will, using twilight language, using modern advertising techniques, using ritual murders placed along sites of significance have acted in the general processing of humanity and more specifically of those of us here in the cauldron of that alchemical process, the crucible of it, the American Southwest, and to a larger extent, the United States of America itself. Yeah, it's just incredible. And you have, I think it's very apropos, the abracadabra triangle right there at the intro to your book. And you have those things like these words have power. So the words that are being used by the cryptocracy or things that are, are integrated into these events. And I think that the Camelot killing of the king 33, twilight language and kind of like the psychosphere are almost are overlap. I think that so even today, I'm, I have all these guests on. We're still talking about the JFK assassination. And I'm actually talking to another one right after this so about that event. So it's reverberated through generations. It's very powerful. 
Yes, indeed. Uh, the problem for me with uh, what's happened with the killing of our President Kennedy is that it's had an X-Files muddying of the waters where people propose a uh, hundred different uh, solutions to the assassination of President Kennedy. I'm not proposing any solutions. I'm uh, enamored of the epistemology of Charles Fort, and Fort didn't propose solutions. He studied mysteries and their effect on humanity and how humanity was being shepherded as a result of that. But in terms of proposing an overall systemic answer to things, I mean, I can give some answers to particular murder cases that I covered as a reporter in New York, but in terms of this overarching occult uh, metaphysic, I think that that's probably too big for me to handle. And I wonder if other people are handling as well, because what we have in the conspiracy theory movement, and I don't consider myself part of it, is a kind of oracular gibberish. I've listened to some podcasts and programs where people have an encyclopedic recitation of various aspects of occult lore. And yet when I, when the broadcast is concluded, I ask myself, what's the sum total of all of that um, tremendous knowledge and data that has been more or less recited? And uh, my, my concern is to get to the root of these issues so that people will be armed against psychic manipulation in their lives and watching, as you say, this parade of a mythos, the Kennedy assassination mythos, in the sense of that king, that glittering king, you know, probably the best looking president who's ever occupied the White House and best looking first lady and everything associated with it. And then this ceremonial murder of him, according to a killing of the king right, which is well known among those who are students of the occult and of mythology. And so I'm interested in this precise a uh, honing of that as we can get. And I'm very leery of just having the Kennedy assassination enter this general kind of popularization. Um, I mentioned Love Field and the erotic aspect and the King Kill aspect, but also Mr. Downard was keen on the three unworthy craftsmen, which in terms of rather mundane, and there's nothing wrong with it because they don't know any better, but the mundane researchers into the Kennedy killing talk about the three hobos that were arrested. And there's been uh, a long debate about who they are. Is it E. Howard Hunt? And, and is it Harrison? Yeah. yeah. And so for me, that image transcends seeking out the identity. And this is what I'm trying to point people to. It's important to find out if we, indeed we can, who those people were. But for Mr. Downard and myself, it's the symbolism of that, the mystery associated with these three individuals dressed shabbily, like most Americans are dressed today. Back then, that was uh, that would draw attention. Today, that's how we go to the, the grocery store and the Walmart. But Church, yeah. uh, dressed in this manner, they're recreating a Masonic image for those who know about the very important Masonic image of the three unworthy craftsmen who are supposed to be the assassins of Hiram of Tyre, who was the builder of the Temple of Jerusalem. Now that can be dismissed as uh, Hebrew or Old Testament mythology, but it's very important in Freemasonry. And whenever we see these images coming up, Masonic images, Kennedy was killed in Dealey Plaza, the site of the first Masonic temple, uh, just like Mitre Square, was, which is, has tremendous significance for British Freemasonry, was the site of some of the Jack the Ripper murders. These things have to be knitted together. And what I've tried to do is point things out that other researchers have missed 
while not falling into the fever swamp that I think a lot of conspiracy theory represents in which, as I say in my book, Twilight Language, I believe the cryptocracy actually is embedded inside conspiracy theory and uses a great deal of it for its own effects in terms of demoralizing us and in terms of spreading apathy. And what I should say is, is that as a Fortean epistemologist, I'd like to quote a, a key uh, statement by Charles Fort, which many uh, Fortians are, are aware of and, and we often trade with one another. And it's this, quote, wise men have tried to understand our state of being by grasping at its stars or its arts or its economics. But if there's an underlying oneness of all things, it does not matter where we begin, whether with stars or laws of supply and demand or frogs or Napoleon Bonaparte, one measures a circle beginning anywhere." End quote from Charles Fort. And I think that the uses of measurement is what we're really fighting here. What yardstick do we apply to reality? What yardstick are we applying to the assassination of JFK? Is it one limited by empirical history and research alone? Or should we be using the yardstick of the cryptocracy itself that is the string puller and puppet master behind many of these events? So I realize that some people will think that you know, my research is so off the wall, but it's in keeping with this Fortean epistemology. Uh, Mr. Downard, uh, and it was Adam Parfrey of Feral House Press that brought this up. Mr. Downard gives us a sense of wonder when he opened up the doors of perception in this particular way to see that there's so much more involved in what um, our adversaries would like us to limit to current events and uh, the news of the day. And there's so much more behind it. It is a world of wonder, but unfortunately, it can be a very macabre or indeed even malignant one. And I think those three, it was, the, I it was the Jews, it's a J-U- W-E-S, right? The three unworthy. The, the Jews, yes. Jewels. And, and they were led Ripper. into the Masonic Temple. So yeah. they were paraded out by the cops, walked, no handcuffs, and right into the Masonic Temple is my understanding. And then there, well, I don't know about being marched into a Masonic Temple, but I do know that their identity was lost. You know, the records are, are it's like with the uh, Manson case, uh, the book Chaos, um, is, is I, I recommend it, and I just reviewed it in our Revisionist History newsletter. And there- yeah, I interviewed O'Neill, yeah, O'Neill's. Yeah, there. and O'Neill's done some really good work, uh, hard work, uh, what they would call in French, uh, La Travaille de Benedictine uh, here. And one of the things he points out is, you know, most of the records are gone. And this is, you know, Charlie Manson's case has almost the same- mythological status in American pop culture as the JFK killing, even though I believe that the JFK killing, like the creation and destruction of primordial matter, the landing on the moon, I know some people believe we didn't go there. I believe we did. At least some of the flights were authentic. And then 9-11. For me, those are absolute key changes in our perception and in the history of the world and where we're headed. But certainly Manson is an important footnote to that. And as Mr. O'Neill points out over and over in his book, when he went to look for the records, whether it's the court records of the very important um, uh, Susan Atkins' very first statements before she had been tutored by her mob lawyer, she originally had an honest lawyer at first, he was uh, pushed out of the picture. And that first court hearing where her statement was entered into the record, that's gone. 
uh, records of uh, Manson's early years, 67 and 68, uh, in San Francisco Bay Area, where his uh, parole officer sent him, dispatched this guy who had been locked up in prison, probably, you know, was a 60s guy, uh, 1950s guy, uh, nothing like the Manson that would be recast in terms of the uh, psychological warfare that was used against him by the CIA and so forth. So, yeah, the paper trail they like to get a hold of and destroy as quickly as they can. And 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 so that part of research is very important. I mean, I I was in Lincoln, Montana, uh, just almost immediately after Ted Kaczynski was arrested in the so-called uh, university and airline bombing or what the FBI termed it in a kind of twilight language word, Unabom. And of course, uh, there's now a ridiculous Hollywood movie completely muddying the waters like Belosi did with Helter Skelter and then the resulting movie. And uh, 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 Ted Kaczynski, he committed some of those atrocities. Yes, not all of them. The FBI was deeply involved in shepherding Ted Kaczynski. I have evidence of that. I was on the scene, I talked to his neighbors this was before the mainstream media really got it going. And I was also able to make uh, contact with Kaczynski uh, when he was in the local jail there in Helena. He wanted me to visit him and I was blocked by his um, federally appointed federal uh, defense attorney. Wow. And uh, he lived, again, bringing up the mystical toponymy element, he lived in the scapegoat wilderness, not far from the scapegoat cafe. And if there ever was a scapegoat, it's uh, Theodore Kaczynski, PhD, who was subjected to LSD so-called research uh, connected with Harvard University. So we go down and down this rabbit trail. By a very well-known spook, spook psychologist, right? I forgot his name offhand, but that guy was he was uh, he was working with Leary, too, who was also working with Kaczynski at the time. Right. And another and another spook psychiatrist, as you term it appropriately uh, working with Manson uh, out of the um, out of the Haight-Ashbury uh, free clinic, so-called. Jolly and West, I think, was that. Yeah. yeah, West, right. That's right. Yeah. Um, yeah, so it's really fascinating. So you've had these contacts. Also, you went and visited Charles Harrison, who was got arrested for killing a federal judge, too, right? I tried to. That was the key. I went to his son, the actor Woody Harrelson, and... Uh, you know, I, I was at a restaurant with him in San Francisco. And I, what my my goal was is to, you know, what he had said, he had alerted me, he said, my father's a CIA agent. And, uh, you know, gee, a mafia hitman is a CIA agent, you know, and uh, there's a lot that he wanted to say and he couldn't. And I thought that, you know, here's the opportunity because none of these people, none of the perpetrators of these high profile uh Twilight Zone type of killings, uh, such as the assassination of President Kennedy and so forth, have ever been brought to justice, which is why it's so easy for the cryptocracy to recruit people to commit these crimes because of this veritable immunity. And so it was my goal to get into Charles Harrelson. He was still alive at the time. He was in prison serving a life sentence and having, uh, having his son uh, recommend me. Well, that didn't go well at all. I, I admit I was too abrupt. I basically just you know, gave him both barrels instead of slowly working up in the course of our conversation. Uh, he and I had a mutual friend in Hawaii. He wanted to discuss the mutual friend. I wanted to discuss his father. And um, I rather abruptly confronted him with, you know, did your father kill President Kennedy? And I wanted to go from there and to having him understand that since I was 12 years old, I have been deeply and profoundly concerned uh, 
with the killing of the king uh, in Dealey Plaza, and uh, and I would be the guy who would uh, who would see this all the way to the end. And um, the, he started crying. And uh, his um, I don't want to mention any names here. I'll just say the woman that he was with uh, intervened then and felt that I was ruining his day, and that was that was the end of that. So I, I did the best that I could with the resources that I had. I'm surprised that other better positioned uh, journalists and researchers uh, weren't successful there. And, uh, and why Woody wouldn't have been the gateway to grant that if indeed his father would have cooperated, but I don't see what his father had to lose unless of course the family is threatened. It's same thing with McVeigh with the Oklahoma City bombing and to a lesser extent with Kaczynski. Um, the cryptocracy will, if, if you yourself are fearless, you're willing to go ahead, quite often the cryptocracy in order to buy your silence, and some silence is still necessary, even in this revelation of the method era, they will uh, threaten, uh, often indirectly, hint at threatening your mother, your girlfriend, your daughter, your sister, whomever. And uh, I definitely think that that could have been a factor for uh, Woody's reluctance, although I'm not going to speculate because I don't know. But where's the rest of the media on this in getting to perhaps the last key uh, person involved profoundly, if indeed he was, with the Kennedy assassination? So things like this, of course, we have one of the most corrupt uh, medias of mass communication on Earth, and uh, that's, that's a big part of our uh, problem here in the United States today. And I, I think Charles Harrelson at one point implicated himself and then retracted it. And there used to be that all over the Internet. There used to be, well, those interviews were on YouTube and they've all been taken down. I don't know what happened to him. But, uh, yeah, so that's an interesting side story. I mean, and you were also, you said in your book, you were friends with or a co-writer with Jim Keith, right, who somehow. Can you Not a co-writer. I respected Jim and he respected me. I liked his book Secret and Suppressed. And um, I also like the fact that he was uh, on the trail of Roger, Robert K.G. Temple, who wrote the book, The Serious Mystery. 1977 was an interesting year. Um, and one of the uh, lots of important books came out that year, including Aleister Crowley and The Hidden God. And, uh, and then um, all, it, you know, the 1977 was really a, a key year. And so, uh, uh, Robert K.G. Temple's book, The Serious Mystery, was published in 1977, and he did a tour of the United States on radio. There weren't podcasts at that time, and Jim intervened. Uh, he got on the air with him as a caller, I guess, and he, he took some of my uh, first pages of my book, Secret Societies and Psychological Warfare, which more or less excoriates uh, Robert K.G. Temple, not for the revelations he made about how the star system Sirius is at the heart of pharaonic Egypt's cosmology and also that of the Scottish Rite of, of, of uh, Freemasonry Southern Jurisdiction, which is the most powerful uh, branch of Freemasonry in the world. But also the fact that Temple was talking about this utopian type of hippie paganism, which was so far superior uh, to the church and Christianity. And what uh, I point out in Secret Societies and Psychological Warfare is, is that actually it's a hidden church, uh, far more uh, disciplined and far more inquisitorial and uh, demanding of obedience than even the old Catholic church was. And uh, I gave Jim a lot of credit for actually confronting Temple with that. And uh, Temple mumbled some type of uh, gibberish and, and moved on. But also Jim's death, I mean, very mysterious at Burning Man, 
And, you know, Burning Man is fairly important for recreating the figure that was popularized in the movie, The Wicker Man. And of course, Which the you word talk about in this book, often you reference the wicker. Yeah. yeah. And, and the word wicker uh, is a key twilight language word. And so Jim had a broken leg. I mean, this is all secondhand, but Jim had a broken, somehow was injured with a broken leg at Burning Man and then died in the hospital there locally, whatever the nearest hospital was. I grant you it was ways away, but this didn't involve arterial bleeding. How do you die of a broken leg? And, and to the best of my knowledge, he didn't have any other uh, ailments. So I wonder you know, what that was. But yeah, Jim, Jim was a good guy. And in many ways, Adam Parfrey was important for having, um, I turned over a King Kill 33 to him for publication in his book, Apocalypse Culture, which uh, was a bestseller and uh, really helped to uh, spread uh, James Shelby Downard's uh, information. Right. And uh, yeah, Parfrey recently passed away too. So that's. Yeah, uh, yeah, he had very severe diabetes. You know, he had a shunt in his brain from a concussion. Yeah, that was tragic. Uh, he died the same age as his uh, character actor fa father, Woody Parfrey, who was a, a wonderful actor. Yeah, he was the guy selling snake oil in uh, The Outlaw Josie Wales, was Parfrey's dad. Yeah, yeah the judge in, uh, in the uh, eight movies, and uh, but oh, also in Tapion, and quite a guy. Yeah, Adam had a whole fund of uh, anecdotes about Hollywood and his father wasn't really that high on other actors. I can tell you that. Oh, interesting. I mean, and then you kind of, I mean, you talk, you are know about the heart, like all these strange shootings, Harvest Festival, DC Sniper, Holmes Aurora, Virginia Tech. There's something very, very strange going on that behind a lot of these shootings and Kaczynski too, right? Yeah, it's just wearing us out. Uh, it really is. I mean, the, the American people are aware of these things in the back of their mind. And that's why I'm, I'm starting to see this shabbiness. Uh, I'm always looking for signs of psychological deterioration. And um, I even noticed at the State of the Union address, Mr. Biden's recent State of the Union address, where I saw, uh, not to disrespect the ladies that were there, I'm sure some of them were dressed very well. Amy Coney Barrett uh, from the Supreme Court was well-dressed. But some of the other uh, ladies, they're dressed in this kind of rude, uh, polyester, shabby clothing. Um, I, I just see a decline everywhere, including in the livery of humanity uh, in, in terms of these things. And I'll give you, a, a, if you'll indulge me, a brief passage from Twilight Language on page 49. Perhaps this will be maybe the best encapsulation I can give you in the time remaining. It's subtitled, The Fabulous Double Cross of His Satanic Majesty. A familiar pattern in the revelation of the method is to leak bits and pieces of evidence of criminal conspiracy and then ensure that the perpetrator gives vague answers or talks around the subject, as George W. Bush did. The goal of the revelation is to desensitize Americans to the fact of Bush's complicity in 9-11 by ex exposing them to an intermittent, occasionally dramatic, but mostly low-level buzz. By this conditioning process, awareness of Bush's connivance gradually becomes absorbed into the din of what I call the process, morphing into the substrata of the digital psychedelic funhouse. The slowly dawning revelation of Bush's treason becomes not a basis for indictment and prosecution, but a sideshow for the game zone's sarcastic management simulator a macabre yet perversely sexy rumor mill 
that burnishes Bush's potency and aura and plays on the people's jaded sense of awe in the presence of a satanic majesty who commands such power that he can successfully mount a fabulous double cross and still thrive. And so it's a sense of like, wow, there's this power and we're in awe of it. Even behind our, our sort of front story that we're seeking to bring these perpetrators to justice. But I think our spirit and our, our, our mind has been so harmed and damaged by knowing that these weird crimes, and you gave a brief inventory of them, have been happening with no one being brought to justice. And there's a sense, just like the majority of Americans believe there was a conspiracy to kill President Kennedy and Robert F. Kennedy Jr. as his own son, Bobby, has courageously set forth, but also in these other so-called serial murders and crimes that there is a tremendous evil inside the federal government and operating with the cooperation of elites in America, including the executives of the major media outlets, and yet, and yet, nothing is being done. And so it becomes grist for this entertainment mill and that is mind killing and soul killing. And that's basically one of the major themes of my books. Right, yeah, it's very well said, very well written too. Uh, Michael, we're at about the 40 minute mark. Do you mind taking a few questions? I've got a number of questions from people. Certainly, sir. Uh, Oswald Spangler asked, does Hoffman think the resurgence of interest in Kaczynski's writings has been organic? I think so in a sense, because uh, Adam Parfrey was in touch with uh, Mr. Dr. Kaczynski and published a lot of his uh, writing. And also, I, I, yeah, I believe from Feral House, there's a whole book of Kaczynski's writing. I've tried to go through it and um, I find it turgid and um, sort of self-evident. I mean, we know that the planet is under attack uh, by uh, predatory capitalism, but I don't think that the way to go about it is with terrorist methods or with shutting down Western civilization. Um, I mean, we should be, uh, we should have the innovative talent and inventiveness to do it without completely shuttering our, our civilization. In fact, I don't even think it would be completely shuttered. I think that you would find as certain movies are now implanting in our minds, the notion that there would be islands of repose and, and Edenic sections that would be reserved for the plutocrats and the politically connected. And they would have all the modern conveniences and, uh, and energy and the rest of humanity would be reduced to this virtual subhuman level. So, um, uh, as far as the notion that uh, it's forced, I don't think so, but I don't think that the cryptocracy has any objection to circulating his manuscripts because they're written in such a tone that I don't think it really is much of a recruiting piece. And also since they themselves know that they were partly responsible for the terrorism that was unleashed under Unabom. I'll give you one example. I don't mean to be um, cryptic here deliberately, they never searched for any accomplices in the Unabomber case. <clears throat> I know that for a fact, if I were called to testify, I would provide more of the information. And the reason I'm not going into it now is because we have limited time and I couldn't do justice to it. But I can tell you as an eyewitness to that, that um, they didn't search for uh, other accomplices. They knew from the beginning that it was only Ted, 
and the secret government inside the federal government that was responsible. And Ted Kaczynski did not commit all of those killings. So to answer the question, I don't think they're much worried about the text because that's not the whole story by any means of Unabomber. So, so, so they did some of the, you saying the government did some of the bombs that are attributed to Kaczynski or the cryptocracy did it? Is government it? agents were surveilling Kaczynski almost the entire time that Unabomber was going on. I believe that he had been marked out for something like this ever since his Harvard days. But don't forget, there's a notion that a lot of this recruiting goes on in psychiatric centers where uh, certain psychiatrists, and, and you and I have noted earlier that um, the MK Ultra program involved a number of psychiatrists in key positions, often very elite, and they look for people who fit a profile, not just in psychiatric centers, but also brilliant people in some of the leading universities. And I think that uh, uh, Kaczynski was one of them who was planted that way. And Manson, at the other end, maybe of the um, of the cerebral scale, but nonetheless, in terms of charisma, was also spotted in that way. But yes, I believe that assets of the federal government unquestionably were some of the ones who perpetrated what was ascribed to Kaczynski. Don't forget, Kaczynski, like David Berkowitz and Son of Sam, uh, like the putative killer of Martin Luther King and others, these guys have no trials, okay? Kaczynski was medicated uh, at the, the last the last time he appeared in front of a judge, he was under medication. Now, someone can say, well, the judge asked him whether he was under medication right now. Yes, that's true. But he didn't ask him whether he'd been medicated 24 hours before that. And as we know, heavy medication stays in your bloodstream. So it was an interesting loophole that they created. But yes, he was under the influence of psychotropic drugs and he never really defended himself. He didn't have the attorney that he wanted. Um, he wasn't allowed to talk to me. His federal defense attorney uh, obstructed that. And we see this down the line. So yes, absolutely, there was no search for, uh, for his accomplice, any possible accomplices because they knew who did it. And they could have gone over, for example, to the University of Montana in Missoula, which was not far from where Kaczynski was in Lincoln, where they have a very active uh, environmental group. I'm not saying that they're radicals or terrorists. Uh, there was no real earnest search over there. There was no authentic search for accomplices in the Kaczynski case. And for me, uh, that pretty much says it all. Says it right. And you actually include that in the DC sniper case. There was a federal woman who somehow got shot too. That makes that whole thing really suspicious and all the occult elements there. It's really just an incredible, like what's going on in this country. I mean, uh, Lee Veltman asks, what are your thoughts on behavior modification and coercion and how hard or easy is it to use social engineering on the mass population? Do you have any thoughts on that? Well, that's what our media is today. I mean, it's an open air social engineering is basically what it is. Look at how, I'm gonna step on some toes here and I don't hope you don't get banned, but look at how a fundamental premise of biology, which is indisputable, that this person has XX chromosomes and this person has XY. And each delineation there is what uh, is what denotes whether you're a man or a woman, okay? And now we're told that someone with XX chromosomes is not what that indicates, but they are of the opposite sex. And so this is such an absurd assault on reality, yet like with uh, the emperor who has no clothes, we're not allowed to say that he has no clothes. It takes a childlike 
mind to step up and say, the emperor has no clothes, a childlike innocence to step up and say, well, an XX chromosome in one person has to distinguish that person from an XY chromosome. We've lost that level of reality and that's an indication of how far we have been processed. And the processing goes on in the Academy Award ceremonies. Uh, I know that my friends in the Nation of Islam, the uh, black Muslims have taken a tremendous uh, uh, ob ob objection to seeing uh, black guy, the last uh, Academy Award, a black man was there in a, a, a huge dress. Maybe some people feel that's fine. Okay, the Nation of Islam didn't. They wondered why a black man was being used to put forth this androgynous image, which is very central to the Alchemical Change Agency, which I mentioned in my book. Um, in talking, to, and I go right into the early Rosicrucian order and the symbolism connected with that as the occult moved through originally uh, the Medici and the Catholic Church in Florence and in Rome in the 15th and 16th centuries, and then uh, moved into Protestant circles, and, uh, and then from Rosicrucianism became Freemasonry. But that type of processing used to be limited uh, to those who entered the lodge and went through the initiatory steps. Now it's an open air initiation using the media of mass communication. So you won't see the Amish being that heavily processed and you won't see other people who live lives uh, off the grid um, in that particular way. You really have to be tied into the data hive in order to get the processing. And uh, right. so MK Ultra is now uh, right out in the open embedded embedded in our movies and television and of course the internet and, and video games and virtual reality as it's called. So true. And you use that term throughout your book, capital P process. It reminded me of the process church of the final judgment, like that process mm -hmm. of going towards the apocalypse or something like that. One more question from Lee uh, Hill doggy. He asks, what does Michael recommend we do to counter this cryptocracy? Well, of course, I'm a Christian. And, um, you know, for me, I turned to the book of Romans, chapter seven, uh, chapter, uh, the middle part around Romans seven ten, and continuing on into chapter eight, uh, into the middle of that chapter. And that's where the apostle Paul himself confronts his, I mean, it's amazing part of the New Testament uh, where the Apostle Paul is confronting his own sins and transgressions, even though he is reputed, and indeed I believe he is, the greatest Christian missionary of all time. And yet he was still wrestling, not only with shortcomings, but uh, unmentioned sins that he was, and, and, but he, and the basic answer to that is, if you claim Christ as your savior, if you believe that he died on the cross for your sins, and that he rose again and defeated death, you are one of you are part of God's people, and I think that one of the problems that we're uh, we're enduring today is is that that's really been betrayed, and that awareness has been betrayed. Now I know about what was done to the American Indians in the name of Christ. I'm very well aware of how Christ has been misapplied, but also that doesn't take away from the origin of it. The prevailing digital ethos is extinguishing our humanity by causing us to renege the covenant a nation and a people predestined by God to good things, to being uh, shepherds of this earth, for example. Instead of building house upon house and Californicating all of the land, giving space for, for humanity to develop. What about usury? What about the renting of money? That was 
That was a mortal sin, a sin that could condemn you to hell. And then the Catholic Church fell in beginning in the 16th century for situation ethics. It spread to Protestantism. And now any Christian in good standing and the vast majority of the churches in the world can rent money, meaning usury, at any rate of interest. It doesn't matter whether it's 1% or 100%. Otherwise, if you tell me that prostitution is bad only if you paid $1,000 for it, but if you got it at a cut rate, it isn't. You know, this is all the wages of situation ethics. So for me... It's in Christ, but it's the true Christ. And I think there's been a whole uh, campaign of deception based on TV preachers and all of these profoundly immoral, uh, greedy people who in the name and violent people and warmongering people who in the name of Jesus have pushed people away from the gospel. And so for me, it remains that's the gospel hope, which is the key of my own hope. And also having families and not not buying into the environmental propaganda that we shouldn't have children. I mean, those who are most environmentally aware should be the ones who are having uh, the most children. But once you stop having children, decide not to have them, then that's really uh, the terminus of your future. And that's what we're seeing for uh, Western civilization. And it's, uh, it's, very, it's a very perilous attitude. I, I'm a strong campaigner for human rights for unborn human beings and the dehumanization of the child in the womb uh, is a central part of the black magic which afflicts us uh, in this time. Well, that's a great way to finish it, Mike. And where is the best place for people to get Twilight language? Well, there's a number of outlets, but the best one would be uh, www.revisionisthistory.org, which is our website. And uh, we have a secure online ordering, and we can process those orders. Uh, and yeah, that would be fine. And you can get your other books. You can get them both. You can get these two that you can read back to back. I highly recommend Secret Societies and Psychological Warfare, one of the most influential books I've read. So you could get that in Twilight Language from your website at Revisionist History, too, signed if, if they'd like, I assume. Yes, uh, revisionisthistory.org. Um, even though we own the trademark on those words, um, Another person uh, runs a revisionist history uh, podcast, which the uh, establishment is behind. So if you try to search for us under revisionist history, you won't find us until the 20th page on Google. It didn't used to be that way, but they pushed us way down. So revisionisthistory.org. And thank you, William, for that plug. Awesome. Revisionisthistory.org. I will put that in the show notes so people can just click on that and click through to that. And... Uh, Really great talk, and it's great to have you on. And, and for somebody who's influenced me so much, it's it's really an honor for me to uh, interview you. So thank you so much, and congratulations on the book. Great book. Title again is Twilight Language, published 2021. You can find it on Amazon. Author is Michael Hoffman. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you, sir. All right, take care. All right, stay there.